on the podcast, the Rescue Cast this evening, we've got Greg, and Greg's coming to us from Baltimore. So, Greg, welcome to the uh, podcast. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. And yourself? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful fall night here. Yeah, same here. It's getting a little cold up here now, but uh, I think this weekend we're supposed to hit some freezing temperatures, so probably not, maybe not that cold there. <laughs> hey, no, not, not, not in a long shot. <laughs> great. Uh, so why don't you give us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Where do you work? How long you work there? Uh, I'm actually from Long Island, New York, originally. I uh, moved down here uh, to Baltimore about uh, 17 years ago now. Uh, I worked for about two and a half, three years in a local fire department uh, that touches the south end of Baltimore City. And I've been in Baltimore City now for 13 years. Um, I did about nine and a half years uh, bouncing around truck companies. Um, worked in the 3rd Battalion on Truck 23 for a while, which is a great, great place. Awesome, awesome guys I worked with there. And uh, about four years ago, I made the move to uh, the rescue. Um, about nine years ago, I promoted to, I guess nine or 10 years ago now, I promoted EVD. So our fire department has a ranked driver position. That's what we refer to as EVD. But EVDs drive in tiller, ladder trucks, and drive the rescue and specialty pieces. Uh, pump operator would, would be a, a, the other driving position that drives engines. Okay. So I've been involved. I've been involved on the department's dive team for about um, three and a half, four years now. I've been on the SRO team, which is our technical rescue team. Um, which we can go to a little bit more in a little bit, uh, for about the same amount of time. Uh, before I got in the fire department, I worked as kind of a belay slave, gym rat, uh, rock climbing guy at Earthtrex Climbing Center, uh, which is, uh, they've got, I think, four locations in the Baltimore or Washington area now, and I think they got one in Colorado as well. So um, that was a great place to kind of get a different aspect on things before the fire department, yeah. But right on. That's pretty much me in a nutshell. I actually did belay for day passes a long time ago for kids' parties at a local rock gym here too. So, oh uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. There's no better way to get there's no better way to get reps in than uh, doing doing a couple birthday parties on a Saturday and Sunday. Right on. So you're on your rescue now. You're driving the rescue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our rescue is um, it's a independently staffed rescue. Uh, we have. We have six guys assigned per shift, uh, four guys ride. Uh, it's minimum staffing, we always have four. Uh, the four positions are the captain or lieutenant, one captain, oh, sorry, we have four shifts. So one captain, uh, three lieutenants, I'm on the captain shift. Uh, me, the driver, we have what's called a first acting man. He's the senior firefighter in the company. He is not detailed out. He always fills the third seat. And then the three other uh, firefighters fight for the fourth seat. And, uh, you know, between vacations and people being off injured and sick and whatnot, usually it's not all three of them fighting for that spot. They'll they'll act in the positions above them, but uh, they uh, they'll get detailed out to other companies or the worst part, getting detailed to the medic. Uh, the medic's a big part of our department, and uh, it's, it's it makes it makes it tough for for some of the guys, especially now that we're we just switched to twenty four hour shifts a couple of years ago and. Uh, you know, it's tough to get guys to buy in when they you know, work a day work or a night work and have to spend the other half the 24 hour shift doing 7,000 runs a year on a medic. So, but that's, that's the rescue in a nutshell. We, uh, we take all tech rescues in the city, uh, from, uh, every one of the major disciplines to every vehicle accident report with a pin, uh, or entrapment. Uh, we take every second alarm of fire in the city. 
and then we take the first alarm of fire in a in a large portion of the downtown and immediately east and west parts of the city, um, which which is where the majority of the fire service is. Um, we do a lot of firefighting, uh, do a lot of medic runs as well. We talked about that before. Uh, I think last year we did 4,800 runs. Um, a lot of those were medic runs. But I think in the month of December last year, now granted we had an arsonist run around, but we responded to about 100 working structure fires. So, I mean, to give a perspective on kind of what we do on a daily basis, yeah. Right on. And there's going to be people here that don't even know where Baltimore is. So you're in East Coast, United States. Um, how yep. big is the city of Baltimore and how big is the fire department there? So I think uh, last thing I checked, and it says with the water or without the water, we're, we're a harbor town on the Chesapeake Bay. I think we're somewhere around the 80 square miles. Um, department's around 1,700, 1,800 people. We run uh, 35 engine companies, 17 truck companies, the rescue. And of the 35 engine companies, three of those are what we refer to as squads. I'm oh, sorry. When I say a rescue, I'm talking about a heavy rescue. Um, when we talk about squads, we're talking about an engine company that a rescue engine or a dual purpose engine, um, two of which are primarily geared towards vehicle extrication. And the third does vehicle extrication. They have a slightly larger rig and they're a tech support company to us. Um, so when we have a tech rescue, it usually be them, the truck and their station, us, and then whatever the first two squad and the, the, the squads break up the city in three different areas so if it's in the two far corners where those vehicle extrication squads are they'll be on the assignment as well okay and now you mentioned the major disciplines for the rescue do you want to just uh quick uh blurb of what those are that you guys cover on the rescue sure so um we talk about a little bit of history with the rescue um yeah please uh, back back before when I was there, uh, the rescue was primarily vehicle extrication, water, rope, limited rope, and then just kind of operations level um, collapse, trench, and and the bigger stuff. I mean, we do uh, machinery rescue, hand entrapments, you know, all all that kind of cool heavy rescue stuff. But uh, the big stuff we have what was called the SRO team, the Special Rescue Operations Team. Um, and they would be kind of the callback guys and they, they'd be, they had a higher standard that you need, need to be a part of. The whole idea was guys would promote out of the rescue and they didn't want to lose that, that, that knowledge and that experience. So they made it like a callback team. So that way, if we had a big incident, they could come. So the rescue wasn't a full tech rescue. I mean, you look at the seventies and eighties and how rescues evolved. They were doing a lot with what they had, but, uh, there was a lot of onus place on the SRO team guys coming back to augment them. Um, since I've been there and, you know, starting probably about 10 years before I got there, they transitioned to wanting to be an all hazards company that handled every tech rescue on shift on, you know, with the manpower we had available between the support station, the squad, the truck, and then the rescue. Um, so that, you know, caused a need for guys to be higher trained. We had a bigger rig. We had started carrying a lot more equipment on it to the point now where we handle Water, you know, swift water and, and flood waters, um, high angle rope, uh, confined space, trench, collapse, plus all the, you know, the unique rescues that you kind of come across, impalements and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess to get into the weeds a little bit for rope, size of rope, devices you guys are using there, what does that look like? I think we, we run. Uh, kind of the standard uh, American uh, or North American fire service 
complement right now. From everything I've gathered, it seems to be the standard. Uh, we got uh, half inch rope with uh, MPDs. With we're getting some omni blocks. We have the vortex on the rescue. Every guy's got an Aztec kit. Um, the big push we're going right now is uh, kind of the thing that we're still waiting on equipment coming in, and we're working on training and, uh, and this, that, and the other thing. But we're moving to a pre-rig system. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, a uh, guy in, out of Philly makes these great bags, uh, Anderson Rescue Solutions. Yeah, they're yeah, kind of like the old rescue, uh, the old, yeah, they're kind of like the old uh, sport climbing tarp bags, you know, that fold up, kind of make a burrito. They're double-ended bags, they Velcro up. Um, we're going to have those set up pre-rigged with the MPD, with the anchor strap, the rescue center, with the double omni block and a single uh, omni block so we can get a three one five to one and uh, 200 feet, have two of them, different colors, and that'll be our go-to set for, you know, probably 90% of what we're gonna do. And then we'll back that up with the bag for the rescuer who will have all the uh, pickoff harnesses, uh, Jumars, uh, chassis centers, all the stuff that he would need to affect the rescue. Uh, we have um, packaging stuff in there for when he gets to the patient. And then we have an anchor position. In the anchor position, we kind of carry all the overflow. Um, and those would be the kind of the, the three bags that we, we're going to be moving to. Now we'll still keep our 600-foot bags, and we'll we'll still be able to kind of, you know, customize things to what we have. But we found that that's probably going to handle a lot of what we do, and it seems to be kind of a a simplified system so that everyone's on the same page instead of building everything when we get on scene. And you know, some ships do things differently, and some some people learn things in a different way. And we're just trying to standardize everything at this point. Right on. And now is that twin tension rope that you're doing then? Ten, twin tension yes. rope? Yeah, it'll be a twin tension rope system, uh, you know, splitting the load between everything. Uh, okay. It just seems all the information out there and even kind of industry best practices, it seems at this point that that's definitely the way to go. And uh, it works now, for us. We have, we're blessed with a lot of manpower, so we can we can bring all the toys. You know what I mean? We you know, Just tech rescue guys, we're getting the three rescue companies, the, the, the truck, the squad, and the rescue. And there's 12 guys right there, plus the first two engine, first two truck. I mean, you're talking like 30 guys by the end of it to help haul equipment, move equipment. So it works for us. It's a big, robust system. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, you mentioned on there you've got a vortex. Is that you're using that as an artificial high direction, high directional for technical rescue and like a tripod for confined space? Or what's the primary use for that? We're, uh, we're actually carrying both on the rescue right now. Um, uh, the Vortex is great. I mean, it's, it does work for a lot of what we need to do, but, you know, the Skedco or the, the lightweight aluminum tripods, they go up fast. You know, they're, they're quick. Um, and there's guys who are more comfortable with them. Um, the Vortex, uh, you know, some ships train more than others. Some guys have more training on it than others. Some guys are a little bit more creative with stuff. Um, but everyone knows how to use the old standard tripod. So it's, it stays on the rig and it gets used. Um, we, we had a, uh, a woman fall through a manhole cover into a steam vault and uh, she's getting burned up pretty bad. And uh, that was the quickest way to go. One guy could set it up and uh, boom, we get someone down the hole real fast. You know? So they right. both have their functions for us. Now, uh, confined space, uh, supplied air respirators, are you into that? Which uh, yeah, we have manufacturer a, are you guys using? Just, I mean, there's a lot of people on here that get curious about what people are using out there. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we're actually kind of unique, I think, for uh, Northeast uh, 
we, we go to, we're Draeger, we're a Draeger department. Um, everything we, we run is Draeger, our SCBAs are Draeger, our, uh, our skate bottles and our lawn lines and our air cart, and it's all, all Draeger, our cameras, our meters. Wow, okay. Yeah, that is, that is different. I mean, that's European, I see it all the time, but I don't see it much in North America. Yeah, if you, if you see a, a picture of a fire and it's a row house and uh, people are inside and you see black gear, it's, you're going to see blue bottles. <laughs> you're not used to seeing that on a lot of pictures, you know. No, absolutely. Um, and then you guys run in Paratech then for your shoring? Uh, yeah, so we, uh, we have Paratech. We carry a, a, a lot of Paratech on the, on, the, on the first line rescue. Um, we also use rescue jacks for our uh, more run-of-the-mill quick stuff. Um, those are purchased a little bit. There's been a, a movement of equipment. Uh, they, were, they were purchased a couple years ago. They, they were a great solution for what we had going on the rescue at the time. The Paratechs uh, are more geared for building collapse, and uh, pretty much that's what we carry them for. We're starting to get more and more heads, and we're trying to work on right now getting the, uh, the uh, hydrofusion system so we can start using them a lot more because for big rig rescue, uh, we've had a, we had a, a bad school bus accident a year or two ago. We had a couple bad pilots on 95, and having the extra capacity of being able to lift with the uh, Paratex is something that we're, we're really looking at trying to get on the wagon. As a total tangent, we have the 10s and the 16-inch uh, fusions, that, yeah. and they're nice. They're, they're nice to utilize. Yeah, we're really looking forward to them. We, we know a lot of our uh, contemporaries around us have them, and uh, yeah, they're, they'll definitely fill a niche that we we need filled. Right on. Um, now you mentioned something about dive. Is that part of the rescue or is that a separate unit or a separate vehicle? Uh, so the dive is a, um, it's like, um, I don't know what the term would be for you guys. It's, it's like a task force team or it's a, we assemble it on scene. So the dive wagon is at our support firehouse, uh, squad 26 and truck six. Um, they, uh, they'll roll the dive wagon for all of Harbor rescues. Um, they have a lot of divers assigned down there. Um, on the rescue, there's two of us that are divers. We carry our gear on the wagon, but no, we don't carry our bottles. We carry all of our, our dry suits, our fins, everything like that. And both companies or both stations are equidistant to the harbor. So we're pulling up at the same time. Um, as a driver, if I'm the only one on the shift, I'll jump in the back and Let's say I, I'm not really going to get dressed in the way of the, to the call, obviously, but magically I can show up dressed and uh, I'll grab a scuba tank off the wagon and then we'll, we'll form our team. We, uh, we also have uh, at-large divers, uh, guys who are promoted or guys who are interested in the dive team that are at stations outside of the special operations world um, and they carry pagers. They'll go and route to the dive call and then uh, if we have an active dive, they'll, uh, they'll rearrange crews and try to get some companies back in service. And then we'll we'll be left with the dive complement at the scene. Okay, no, that's interesting. So you said you do still water, swift water, and you have dive capability. Yeah, I said that the dive capability isn't on the wagon, but it's uh, it's it's always right there with us. Um, we have a pretty storied dive team. We actually uh, made a rescue last year, a viable victim. Uh, I think we were from dispatch to the victim out of the water with something like eighteen minutes in cold water. And the person walked out of the hospital. Um, yeah, How did they I, end up in uh, I think they had a little too much, uh, a little too much celebration that night and fell in. Uh, actually, I think the story from what I heard is the guy when he woke up or came, you know, became conscious, uh, was so upset that we had saved him 
he actually uh, ran out of the hospital. They had to they had to stop him. The security guard stopped him once. The second time he got out, and no one's seen him since. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always troubling, right? You save someone and they didn't want to be saved. But uh, yeah, do you have uh, rafts or any boats that you use for your water rescue or your dive at all, or do you have a boat in the harbor as part of the department? Uh, that actually becomes kind of a bit of an issue for us. Uh, so we have a uh, ten foot uh, Avon inflatable Zodiac on the rescue that we inflate with the SCBA bottle. And that that's a fast deploying boat. I mean, we really do well with that. Um, we, we have very limited um, boat ramp access. We always have between a 10 and 14 foot inflatable trailer ready to go at the special operations station on Ford Avenue, the squad 26 and truck six. And they'll pull that with an F-250 or F-350. But they usually have to, or they might even pull it with the squad, but they'll have to go to a boat ramp and launch that boat, which becomes a logistics issue with if they have divers on that unit that day. Uh, it's about a 10 minute ride uh, by boat to get to the center inner harbor area. Uh, we like the boat for like a, a, a emergency platform for a diver uh, if we recover a victim. Um, but if we did recover a, a injured diver or a victim, we'd have to get them to a low point or go back to the ramp. So the boats have to be fast. It, it, it definitely causes some headaches. Um, the inflatable boat that we carry on the rescue can be deployed pretty quick. And then uh, sometimes we get lucky. Sometimes we, uh, we have dive instance close to the boat ramps and it works out well. Yeah. We have, right. At this point, we have a fleet of probably five to six Zodiac inflatables ready to go for flooding, swift water situations, plus harbor rescues. Okay. Now, you mentioned the Swiftwater. For the people that don't know the geography, where you're from, what's uh, the major concerns in the Swiftwater world there? Uh, so we do have uh, two, two rivers that come down to the city. Um, they do present their own hazards. Um, one of them, they, they, one has a, a low head dam. Uh, the other one, the, the river becomes submerged as it enters downtown and goes into a culvert system. So uh, for a Swiftwater rescue upstream from there, you got to make the rescue before they get to the culvert or else you're, you're stuck, you know, that they're going in the culvert. Um, so we're, uh, those are our two biggest concerns, but 99% of what we're dealing with is flooding situations and then the back of the washout from that. Um, we got major storms come through you know, streets turn into rivers and, you know, people get constrained. You know? Right. Uh, yeah. Obviously a containment issue before it gets into the, the culverts, you're not finding anybody under there, I guess. No, yeah, it's 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 a it's a scary thing to have in the back of your mind. Where, man, if uh, if my downstream spiders don't get me a throw bag, <laughs> like <laughs> you don't want to be too close to that that pipe, you know? Nah, no kidding. Um, and so, with this, you've been on the rescue. You said three years. About four years now. Four years. Um, for the technical rescue components of it, what are you looking at for frequency on that? Uh, do you guys stay fairly busy with the call volume or? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that we're, we're slow with it. Um, this year, uh, just in the past few weeks, we had a, uh, a building explosion, a gas explosion, uh, a level uh, three houses. There was a major search operation for about 18 hours. Uh, we were able to uh, effect some rescues in the initial stage of that, mostly by the first two suppression companies and the uh, first two SOC personnel. I was off duty. I came in with the SRO team for the additional manpower for that. 
Um, it was a multi-jurisdictional event. We had a bomber. It was around the, the line. Uh, Balmer City is like it's the donut hole or the uh, or the Timbit. Is that what you guys would call it? Yeah, the there you go. To the donut. Uh, the, the donut around us is Baltimore County. We're Baltimore City in the middle. Um, and that incident occurred within 50 feet of the county line. So we had a full response from Baltimore County, and then we had a full type of response from Baltimore City for that. Um, but since being at the rescue, I mean, we've I've had four or five. Uh, building collapses, three or four trenches, uh, probably five or six uh, high angles, a bunch of flooding incidents, uh, probably at least a dozen dive calls. Um, I mean, over, over the course of four years, it, it feels like you're getting at least quarterly, if not, you know, every, let's say, month or two, you know. Right on. And then the vehicle, vehicle accidents in a major city, we don't, we really don't get a ton of uh, vehicle accidents. We have 95 and 295 that run through, but, uh, I, I mean, we get them, but uh, definitely not the frequency of maybe a more suburban or rural department. Yeah, that's where we're lucky or unlucky. We've got, I want to say, maybe four freeways running between us. Most of them go to downtown. We've got a tunnel and a bridge, a ferry terminal. So we're getting a lot of traffic moving around that. And uh, sure. And at good yeah. speeds, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure this is uh, nothing for you guys up in Canada, but. I think it was a year or two ago, we had a, like a major pileup on 95. The video circulated for a while. A tanker truck actually uh, went between the two spans of, of 95 and exploded. Wow. Uh, so as we responded to that, uh, DOT just, I, I don't know if there was just a situation where they weren't able to get the de-icer down quick enough, but it turned this overpass into an ice skating rink. And uh, at one point driving the rescue, we were going sideways down 95. And uh, we had to dismount from there and, uh, and hand carry pull Stokes baskets like uh, toboggans out towards where the wreck was. And I uh, was being completely impinged by flame from this uh, the gasoline truck or diesel truck that was on fire underneath it. And uh, yeah, it, that, that was a hairy situation. I, mean, I think uh, all four guys in the rescue, each one of us was on a different wreck extricating a different, different set of patients. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting for a while. Yeah, weather always manages to screw stuff up, doesn't it? No, 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 yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, now you mentioned something else on there, which I mean, I find different. Maybe it's a standard down there. So there's one captain and then the rest of the shifts are run by lieutenants? Yes. So the company commander is the captain. He runs his shift and then the company. Um, and then he has three lieutenants, each one managing a shift in the company. Huh. Is that standard? That's, that's pretty standard. That's pretty standard. Uh, pretty much all up and down the East Coast that I can I can think of. Um, yeah, I know some departments do. I, I know like the West Coast is big on captains on every shift. Um, yeah. Yeah, from from DC, Philly, us, New York, Boston. I'm pretty sure that there's captains, lieutenants on every that, that same model. You know. Yeah, understood. A um, couple other quick questions for you here. 9-11, I mean, you're running on the East Coast. Um, I mean, the departments you just mentioned, they're all pretty big jobs. A little bit before your time, but what's, did you see any changes to your fire service or did you hear of any changes to your fire service that happened after 9-11 and because of it? Yeah, 9-11, I mean, any, any change that happened, it'd be all me talking uh, secondhand about how that all happened. But, uh, I think the biggest effect that it had for rescue rescue operations in the city is uh, I believe they got a bit of funding and were able to 
at that point they changed four engines over into squad companies. Um, I think that happened around that time. They were able to buy the apparatus and then start expanding the SOC program to these four, four companies. Um, we've since whittled that down to three. Um, but I'm sure like most departments, you know, the post 9-11 funding stuff uh, helped push a lot of the equipment purchases and kind of the transition to more tech, tech rescue on shift type deals. Um, I know even before that, hearkening back to, I believe, the SRO team, the way that that was formed was post um, Oklahoma City bombing. That was the question to our chief, from one of our chiefs that got in the, the rescue at that time to say, hey, can we handle something like this? And uh, I think that's what pushed the expansion of tech rescue a lot for our department. And then 9-11 started funding that a little bit more, not to be insensitive. I'm, I'm from New York. I, I, I was living uh, in Long Island, you know, probably 15, 20 miles from, from the trade center. So I'm not trying to cheapen that at all, but that, that was its effect on our department, um, probably funding wise. I know, I believe some guys did head up to New York to assist, but I don't have a lot of details about that. I came down for some of the funerals and the memorial. Uh, I was on the job back then. I've been around for a bit, but uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely kind of a, one of those events during your career that certainly changes a lot of things. So um, you mentioned those squads. Are those yeah, the squads well, now that are backing you guys up as the technical rescue that you were talking about? Uh, yeah, so the, there were four uh, squads. Um, the, uh, one of them got moved to this location now. Um, they're, they're our SOC support uh, SOC station. They're the ones who uh, uh, are our technical rescue company all of themselves. Um, they, they form that 12-man that, uh, team that we try to go for. Um, the other two are up in the the northern corners of the city, they're still functioning. Their, uh, their capability right now is, is for vehicle education and kind of awareness operations level. Um, and then the one remaining squad, uh, when the apparatus was getting old, it, they, they, could, they were having a hard time training everybody. I mean, it wound up being a, a tremendous amount of manpower to get through the classes. So that, that squad got reverted back to an engine a few, uh, two, three years ago. Let's go to the, the other, the high, the, the squads up in the corners. Um, I say that they're only vehicle extrication squads, but as guys promoted out of the rescue and out of special operations, they found homes up there too. So we have guys who are completely trained in those squads up there. They're just maybe a little bit more limited on equipment, but uh, we're, we're always amazed going up there on stuff that they get dispatched to, and, and they do a great job. I can't say anything bad about them. Right on. Now, um, do you guys train internally? Do you go to the a state school for technical rescue? How does that work? Uh, so the uh, Maryland Fire Rescue Institute is kind of the state's governing body for uh, everything from fire one through technical rescue stuff. Um, so they're the, they're the body that figures that all out. Um, to be at the rescue, you, uh, to be considered a technical rescuer, you have to have at least Hold on a second. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to start over on that one. Or... Yeah, sure. Go ahead with it. So, but, to um, be a technical so, rescuer. Yeah, you have to have at least three disciplines outside of – they don't count vehicle uh, machinery, or I believe they call that site ops now. Um, so, the, the major disciplines are rope, swift water, trench, collapse, um, sea space. Uh, so, you have to have at least three of those to be counted as a technician on the company. And then we have minimum staffing of three technicians 
on the three special operations companies, which is Squad 26, Rescue 1, and the truck was Squad 26, which is Truck 6. Um, so in a perfect world, we have um, everyone staffed, but the minimum staffing would be nine technicians. And you, you kind of hope that they have the disciplines you need for the call you're going to get that day. But, so in terms of training, we, uh, we do uh, one day a week. We get to go out of service and train. Um, for any con ed stuff, we, uh, we try to make classes available throughout the year. And then uh, a lot of it's in-house in company training. Um, I know he's been on your podcast. Uh, give him a shout out, uh, Kelly Byrne, who was doing that awesome, uh, using aerials as a high directional. Hopefully he's down in DC, you know, down, right down the street. So we're hopefully getting him to come up, uh, with another guy, Jason Illawite. He's yep, I know doing Jason. a lot of great stuff. And, uh, yeah, they're both great guys. Hopefully they're coming up to uh, help us kind of train everybody up on the new pre-rig system and uh, do some cool Vortex stuff and do some kind of high-angle con ed, if, uh, if you could put it that way. Try to update us to the, to the latest and greatest of what's going on in the real world. Yeah. Right on. Well, I told them I say hello when you run into them. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one. Baltimore was the location for the filming of Ladder 49. And I couldn't even tell you when that movie came out now. It's probably, what, probably 20 years, maybe? I. Oh, yeah, before me. Um, I was on the but job. I, that's not saying much. So it's somewhere in the last 25. Um, how did that change the department? Did that influence anything around the job? Uh, I think it brought notoriety. Uh, I, I worked with a lot, of, a lot of guys who were part of the filming or – there was a lot of extras. I mean, that building that they burned in the movie, I think they only tore it down a year or two ago. I mean, it was a massive building and it, it took a massive amount of fire apparatus to film those scenes. So, I mean, I heard the overtime was just flowing like a, like a faucet, but <laughs> um, the guys were all down there operating at all those extras and everything. They're all for the most part, firefighters. Uh, there's actually a lot of guys that have minor roles in the movie that are guys that earlier in my career I worked with. Um, I, Recently, last year, uh, the senior man in the company, um, Bill Hartsock, great guy. He was my senior man on my shift. Uh, he retired with, uh, I believe, 40 years or, or something crazy. Um, awesome guy. But I know he had some parts and he had, he had some good stories about uh, being John Travolta and uh, Joaquin Phoenix and all that stuff. Besides that, I think, uh, I think we got like a staff car out of it, that, that red car that they pull up in front of uh, the wife's house. I think yeah. that actually became like a staff car. So I think they left that, and then uh, we got some cool branding out of it and, and stuff like that. You know, a little bit. You mentioned something about the color of the vehicles earlier. Yeah, so I was trying to figure that out with you before. I know at some point, so Baltimore's uh, iconic colors for fire apparatus was uh, white over uh, Omaha orange was this like real bright orange that we had on the fenders and everything going back a ways. And I believe at the time of the movie there was a transition to go to red fire apparatus, and it might have even had something to do with. Uh, them seeing our department as a, a viable, viable department of filming the movie. I believe the script was wrote, written for, you know, not a specific fire department. So I know that if the red fire apparatus, had, it was already in the process, but it definitely solidified keeping red apparatus in the, in the BCFD. Right on. Um, and last, I mean, there's going to be viewers north of the border, Europe, that listen to this. And you've got your squad there. Uh, I think you said squad 26. And you've got a ladder six. Now, what sort of the guys on ladder six are they technical rescue trained or are they a ladder company that does support? 
So they are, they are, they are technical rescuers. Um, so I, I tried to explain uh, the, the difference in driving positions. Um, so to have depth in a company, um, you, you don't want to exclude guys, right? So if you don't want to exclude uh, EVDs out of the special operations program, if we have all these engines, you never get EVDs to be a part of the program. Um, completely leaving out the fact that firehouse has a lot of equipment. So you need a lot of people to get it out the door, to man it, to, to operate it. But um, it works in, in, in my favor specifically because uh, when I, if I have an overtime shift or I, I work uh, a trade for someone, they can keep me in special operations by detailing me down to a vacancy at truck six. That's, that's also saying truck six has, they're, they have as many technicians and they're, they're staffing. They, they push to be fully staffed with technicians the same way they staff the rescue where it's going to six. They're just a tiller truck and they're the community fire truck. Um, they, uh, they don't take vehicle accidents the way the squad does. The squad has a larger response area. They would only take it as a first two company, but for any sort of technical rescue, a collapse, high angle trench, they're going to be rolling and they're going to be bringing with them this other kind of tech rescue truck which looks a lot like a large body three axle rescue truck right on well i appreciate your time it's been about 30 minutes here just chatting about baltimore is there anything else you wanted to add in uh, no i uh that's probably all i got i mean uh i just want to say that uh, i think it's a great department that we work in uh the suppression guy i mean i'm sure if anyone who's been in tech rescue understands that uh, you know Everyone wants to be firemen, and we have a lot of fantastic firemen in our department. I mean, we go to a lot of fires, and there's great companies out there. And actually, probably makes things a little tougher for us to recruit for the rescue because uh, there's so many great fire companies out there that even the enticement of, of tech rescue and going to fires, um, it, it's tough. I mean, we're always fighting for manpower. We're always trying to get really good dudes to come down. Uh, if any of my guys are listening at BCFT, like, you know, we love to have motivated people to rescue. Like, we're always try to find great guys and that's not to say the guys i don't work with are on top notch we're, uh, rescue one is an awesome company and the squad and truck that support us are fantastic um but uh yeah we're, we're we're always looking for good people and we're always looking to to get better you know well i was going to wrap it up but now a tangent question for you how do you recruit like is it seniority based is it qualification based do you guys go out and get the three disciplines on their own and put an application in how does that look uh, the, it's been a moving target. Uh, things things always change. Um, I, I think personally, a lot of guys think that the right way to do it is to do uh, you know ten years in a in a company uh, on a line company. You know, learn learn the job of fire, fighting fire, and then come to us. And you know, if you're a worker and, and you're good at fighting fire, uh, we can usually make you a pretty good technical rescuer. Um, unfortunately, uh, just wait the way the department's moved in the past few years. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to be a technical rescuer. It's a lot of work to stay current on those classes. And there's a lot of equipment to take care of and, and going to take Con Ed or even just getting your, your basic classes to be there. Um, yeah, it's tough. And if you could just be at, a, at, a, at, a, at an engine and truck and go to a, a ton of fires and, and, and have a great shift, and, you know, it's, it's tough to, to seduce people to come to the rescue. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we've, we've actually gotten some rookies out of the academy in the past uh, past few months. Uh, they're all great, great people, super motivated. Um, they're doing an awesome job. We're just, uh, you know, they're behind the eight ball because we got to teach them how to how to fight fire and we got to teach them how to do tech rescue. Yeah, and maybe that's a trend right now. I mean, I think probably 15, maybe almost 20% of our departments, probably five years or less. So, I mean, I, I get a newer guy on my shift, great guy, Doug. 
Um, but yeah, it's just reality of life. Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, you know, it's some of the farmers do a really great job of cultivating that, uh, that like rescue culture where it's a spot where you really want to be at. And uh, we try to, you know, we, we, we really do, but, um, you know, the rescues, any fire farm that runs a rescue knows that, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. It's, you know, guys are like, Oh, that's cool. You guys do a lot of cool stuff, but then you're also kind of the extra guys on fires and you're running around, you're breaking stuff and you're having a great time. And then, Unfortunately, they're packing hose and putting ladders away, and you know, sometimes you get to go jump on the ring, go to another fire, and you know, we're not trying to do it to be jerks. We we try to hump ho uh, rack hose and do all that stuff the best we can. You know what I mean? But uh, you know, sometimes it it causes some a little bit of a rift, and we, we try to be as cool as possible. We try to help as much as possible, and we're trying to kind of wind back the clock on maybe some guys in the past that really took advantage of being on the rescue like that, but. Uh, yeah, we're just, you know, sometimes, sometimes the rescue is just people don't like the rescue. <laughs> Radio. Talk about this team. You said it was a high rise team that was previously on rescue one. Yeah. So it was a, I think it was a state heat team, which is the helicopter emergency aerial team. I believe there were a couple of jurisdictions that uh, uh, had guys part of the team, but rescue one uh, consisted of the majority of the Baltimore city element of it. And the whole idea was in a high rise fire, I think it came after the MGM fire in Las Vegas. This is about yeah. whatever that was. So when the team was formed, the idea was that these guys would go by the state police helicopters and be lowered down or rappelled down onto the roof of the high rise. And then they would search from the roof down and evacuate everyone up to the roof. And uh, I think either the A plan or the B plan of evacuating the people off the roof was to string a high, uh, high line or zip line across to an adjacent high rise and to then harness all the victims and send them across down the high line to an adjacent building. And as crazy as that all sounds, and as much as it sounds pretty far-fetched, it, it was actually put into place and, and used on an incident. Uh, we had a high rise fire in 1998 in a 28-story building, uh, Charles Towers downtown. And the fire, I believe, had the 15th and 16th floors pretty much fully involved and they couldn't get above to uh, make rescues, and they activated the heat team. And I believe at the site of what is the current M&T Bank Stadium, where the Ravens play, the helicopters landed. I believe there's two helicopters operating. They landed about 10 guys. Uh, my old senior man that I had spoken about, Bill Harsock, was one of the guys. Uh, they lowered them down, and they proceeded to do a primary search from the roof all the way down and evacuated everyone up the roof. And... Uh, by the time they were able to, I, I, I don't know if they had to clear the roof. That was one of the SOPs that they dropped down with the partner saw and, and, and try to uh, remove any antennas that were on the roof. I don't know if that was ever done. I don't think they ever landed a helicopter on the roof, um, but they, they got everyone assembled on the roof. And by that point, they were able to start putting a knock on the fire and uh, they sheltered in place and eventually uh, were able to bring everyone down through stairwells. But uh, so that was, that was one use of it. And then uh, actually a second use of it was for a rescue. Um, at one point, um, we have a, a, a hill in the city where uh, the TV stations use for their um, large antennas. Uh, we have this uh, unique to Baltimore, this candelabra antenna. I believe it's something like 400 feet, give or take. And a worker got injured and stuck up there. And uh, a heat member was lowered by winch off the state police helicopter, 400 feet in the air, to make that rescue to get that guy off. So a couple of uses for the heat team. 
are you is there still a heat team in baltimore are you still using helicopters at all so um there was a change uh, i'm not really too sure of the politics of everything but um the state police moved to a larger helicopter where they're able to have a four-man crew and i believe the fourth crewman was able to take over some of those winch duties so we lost that out a little bit and i think when they moved to the helicopter there was just some issue with training and uh, the team is currently suspended we always hope to get it back going everyone wants to have their helicopter wings that was a sign of the sr the uh, heat team on your uniform but uh i know that they've they've brought up the uh, heart teams i don't know if you have those up in canada those are the uh rescue swimmers that work with the national guard helicopters uh that's currently being kind of led by Baltimore county which is our uh, uh, surrounding jurisdiction and uh yeah we're always trying to trying to get ourselves on a helicopter somehow so hopefully in the future we'll get back to it yeah now the county next to you said as part of this heart team do they put members into that then yeah so uh so uh they they will put uh essentially a rescue swimmer um so they've gone through that we're, we're actually working right now in the state trying to come up with like a surface water uh rescue type program like a rescue swimmer program because it doesn't really exist in the state format right now but uh they're they go through that process and then they act as like the rescue swimmer for a, a black box so when there's a hurricane or some sort of natural disaster i believe they're based out of Fort Indiantown Gap up in Pennsylvania. And the swimmers will rendezvous with the helicopters and then they'll fly down and then they'll perform winch operations and rescue swimmer operations. We went down for Hurricane of Florence two years ago. And I know when we were operating there, uh, there were a couple, couple there were a couple hard teams down there operating in, in adjacent to us. So. Now, when you went down to Florence, is that part of a task force or is that part of Rescue One? Uh, so uh, our SRO team, that, that rescue team, we also kind of, at one point, uh, Baltimore City was had a state uh, USAR team. Um, I think funding for that just kind of dried up um, and it got split up. So what we currently do are uh, EMAC requests as a swift water element or really any element that they would need. And that's how we deploy for that. So EMAC is, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, it's a, it's a state mutual aid policy. Uh, this is my gathering of it. I'm not I'm not the expert on this by any means, but uh, say the state of Alabama will say, hey, I need four uh, swift water teams of a certain type that, with a certain amount of manpower. And they'll put out that request. And then through the state, we'll essentially bid on it. We'll say, hey, we can send 14 guys, three trucks, three boats. And when we figure out the overtime, the backfilling cost, and this, that, and the other thing, we, we present them a number. And then they'll, they'll be able to pick and choose the teams they want. And, you know, distance and equipment and costs all factors into it so sometimes we get them sometimes we don't but uh yeah we went to hurricane uh, two years ago for that and it was great we showed up and pick up trucks and trailers and with a bunch of swiftboard techs and some of the larger usr teams that have you know they, they you know the type one teams they, they come from everywhere and sometimes they show up in track trailers and and they don't have the high clearance vehicles and then they got to wait for a national guard rendezvous and stuff like that so we're a little smaller we can get in we can get out we can move around a little bit more for we don't come with the punch we don't come with all the tents and the whistles and everything like that so sometimes we fit the needs sometimes the bigger teams do you know right on that's really cool i like that idea of uh, assisting your neighbors there quite literally yeah it, it, it's, it's it works out great for us um and it kind of keeps our guys sharp 
we don't get a ton of swift water in the city. Uh, we don't get to do, you know, large area searches of flooded areas, you know, but all those skills that we get to, and I hate to say practice, but we get to put into work in, in these uh, hurricanes, whatever. Inevitably, Baltimore is going to get hit by one and we'll be able to, well, hopefully never, but uh, we'll be able to put those skills to use in Baltimore. So it's, it's like on the job training, you know, yeah, it works out pretty well for, for the team. Right on. Well, that's awesome. Did we miss anything else? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, no, not, not really. I mean, without getting into specific stuff. Um, oh, I, I, I don't know if, if this came up on your radar, but um, my shift had the uh, the kid in the bathtub where we used the vortex. I know that was float, floating around uh, social media for a little bit. <laughs> no, I'd like to hear um, about that. Go ahead. Uh, it's floating around. I know uh, Full Send Rescue, they, they retweeted it. A bunch of people retweeted it. Uh, so one of the calls that we run, I, I refer to as these like heavy rescue calls, right? You know, these, uh, these crazy things. Um, you know, besides dealing like protesters and, 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 and people who are getting themselves in hairy situations, uh, one of the more popular calls we get are uh, bariatric calls, uh, assisting uh, the ambos and assisting with our bariatric unit with extricating a patient alive or dead out of, out of a structure. Um, so that, that picture that was floating around, we had, a, um, I don't want to get too specific into it, but he was a juvenile and uh, he had, he had a, a, some sort of medical condition that, was, he, that had caused him to become quite obese. And I think he was, we were estimating the 400 pound range. And he was stuck in a, in a bathtub with his legs trapped underneath them in a way that he couldn't get out, we couldn't extricate him. The bathroom was as small as you could possibly make a bathroom, and we just couldn't get enough manpower in there to get him up. Like if if we were in a bigger bathroom, it probably wouldn't have been an issue. But instead of taking the wall out and trying to make a ramp and slide him out through the wall, uh, we were like, "Hey, let's try to use the vortex." And uh, I think we came up with a pretty cool way to set it up. We used two Aztec kits. We uh, we set up a kind of ad hoc sling, hasty harness that we tied around him, and it was really just so we could make a vertical lift with them two feet out of the tub so we could slide a board underneath them and then transfer them to a, to a Stokes basket. But um, that was my shift and that was my crew. And uh, I know it was making the social media rounds for a while. So I figured I'd touch on it. Yeah. Symmetrical tripod, lazy leg. What did you use there? Uh, it was kind of a lazy leg. Um, so we set up the uh, BIPOC configuration. So if you're looking at the tub in one of the corners of the porcelain where the tile is, um, we, we kind of, we buried that in there as best we could. One of the legs, the other one was out on the floor. And then if you imagine a square room, if the tripod was off centered, the other leg went out horizontally into the corner of the wall. Okay. And that, that wall was a hallway wall that was real tight. It had a doorway on either, it had the bathroom door and then it had another doorway here. So uh, we just punched a hole through and put a Halligan bar to span the two door frames and then use an Aztec kit to back tie it. So we were able to tension the, uh, the horizontal monopod, and then the two legs were, were pretty well situated, and uh, that, that gave us plenty of no movement, and it worked out great for us to get the lift down. You use an Aztec to lift the, the patient as yeah, well? Yeah, we, we, actually, we actually used two of them, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it became a situation where the hasty harness, uh, we tied the best we could, but we would, we would lift, and it would, it would just take up slack in that harness 
So then we, we tied essentially a second harness with all the slack taken out. We hit, hit the second one that we pull. And between the two Aztec kits, we were able to get enough clearance to slide a, slide a balloon underneath them. That's so, awesome. I think I do I'll recall you, doing that now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we, we get a lot of uh, bariatric calls that really test um, the outside the box kind of thinking. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they're as much of a technical rescue as any rope or uh, trench or collapse I've ever been on. Um, oh, speaking of collapse, I, I do have a good collapse one for you, too. Go ahead, yes. Um, we, had, uh, we had a collapse one night. Uh, we got called uh, to respond to assist the truck company. Um, and, uh, those, those always kind of throw you for a loop because you never know what you're kind of getting into. And, uh, we showed up on scene and, uh, the truck was there, um, and they were pointing into this dwelling. I guess as we were on our way, they actually upgraded the assignment to a rescue assignment and then eventually to a collapse assignment. But, um, when we got there, this woman was being chased by the police. Um, and it was like something out of a movie from the descriptor from the police the guy who was making the chase, this woman ran into a vacant two-story row house. And as she ran through the front room, the whole building came down. Um, the, the back was a, well, the front was a lean-to collapse. And then the back was a complete pancake collapse. And uh, like the cop like just slammed on the brakes a lot enough for the whole thing to come down. And she went down right in the center of it. Um, so we show up and um, our, our first access is gonna be through the basement window. So when, when I say roadhouse, you know, it's like a, a ordinary construction, brick front, uh, two-story, um, like a townhouse, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, like a three-step stoop up to the first floor, so we have a pretty big basement window. So we get there, uh, we call, someone's got to bring, we have a second collapse rig, so we have to have them bring that. We act, make sure to activate the uh, SWAT 26 and truck 6 to come. As we're doing our size up, um, we we're actually running a reserve, so we didn't have a lot of uh, all of our, all of our toys. Um, we're doing our size up. We, uh, we were able to breach the window a little bit, make it enlarge it a little bit, put some shoring in it, lock it up. And we're calling into this, into this basement, trying to get some response and we're getting nothing. No, no one's responding. And, uh, the police helicopters up above, they got their, their thermal and they're looking and we're kind of waiting for our toys at that point. We're, you know, setting up lights and just kind of doing a 360 and trying to figure out, you know, what our plan of action is. And, uh, yeah, just no response from the from the patient, and we start hearing all the police radio. They're like, I, I think, no, no, never mind. Oh, I, I think we, oh uh, no, never mind. And I, I hear it, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? What's what what what's uh, we call our police helicopter Foxtrot? I'm like, what's Foxtrot saying? They're like, oh no, they keep thinking they might see something, but it, it keeps disappearing. Like we're calling in there, and we don't see anything. So our, our collapse rig shows up. We start doing our shores. We send in two guys. Um, I'm, I'm at the cut station. My two rescuers are inside. We're throwing teams up. They're working their way through the back room. Uh, there's a bunch of duct work that they're removing. This, that, and the other thing. And and I go up to kind of scope out what used to be the first floor, which was which was collapsed at that point. And I'm trying to see if I can get a T directly above my basement T to see if we can push the search to the first floor as well. And everything starts moving and the whole floor starts moving and things are shaking and i'm on the radio we're like hey, oh everyone hold up stop 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 because i think it's my guys underneath uh the safety officers saying the same thing we're looking in there we're like what is going on what is causing this building to shift and the rescuers they're you know they're running back towards the hole and everything stops 
And we're like, what, what is going on? Like, was it a seismic event or something? Like, cause we're calling, we're like, is anyone in there? Is anyone in there? Um, still not getting a response. So we start up again, you know, we start pushing through, we start setting up our teams, we're, we're, we're removing, removing more debris. And I get back up on that first floor uh, doorway. I think the truck, the first two trucks with that actually was looking through there. He goes, I see her. I go, what do, you, what do you, who do you see? He's like, I see the victim. She's climbing out of the pile. And we're like, wait, 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 wait. And we're screaming, like, don't move, just stop moving. Cause now she's rocking and rolling the whole pile again. And we're screaming for our guys to get out. And uh, they all come squeezing out of the hole and she starts climbing away. We're like, you need to stop. The cops are screaming at her and everything. And she climbed her way out of like 12 feet where the debris. And now she's got us in like a Mexican standoff where we're like, you need to stop moving because this whole building is going to come down. Like she's surrounded with two stories of, of building ready to collapse. And she's like, I'm not going to jail. There's no way. If I come out that door, those cops are going to arrest me. And we're like, honey, if you stay in this building, you're not going to make it. You know, like, and uh, it took about 10 minutes for us to finally convince her to come out. And uh, we, we got all the cops out of the way. It was, it was me and the, the, the truck company lieutenant. We finally convinced her to come out through the doorway. And of course, she took two steps and got tackled by about 15 cops. But like, who would have, like, nowhere in collapse school do they teach you about dealing with an uncooperative, non compliant victim, you know? And this whole time, the guys are in there working their way through this pile. The whole thing could come down on them because this woman is, she does not want to be arrested, you know? And she is climbing her way out and kicking and screaming however she can do it. So that was one for the record because I, I never had a collapse where the person did not want to be rescued from the pile. Yeah. Uh, we have that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a unique one, right? When you start yeah. dealing with uh, non-compliant subjects. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and, and you're thinking of collapse, like you know, nobody's gonna collapse a building on themselves for the most part. You know, maybe they set off an explosion. Or, I mean, I can't think of a, a scenario besides a police chase, really, where you know, you'd have someone that adamant to not get rescued. You know. So yeah, the, the, so Fox tried to seen her trying to climb out with the whole thing. Right yeah, that, sorry, I, I, that, that was one that was in the front of my front of my, my brain there. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing those. I really appreciate the stories. And uh, I know the viewers because they will have seen the social media stuff. They'll definitely like to hear some of the backstory on that. So that's awesome. Sure. Cool, man. Well, well thank you. Great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this is awesome. I really enjoyed it, Mark. Right on. Have yourself a good night. Hey, you too.